Hey, good morning. Uh, so, yeah, my name is Justin Gerhardt, and uh, my wife and I are privileged to be here on campus this week. Uh, thank you so much to so many of you who came out to uh, the Holy Ghost Stories event last night. It was just a joy uh, to be with you, and uh, we just love, Jennifer and I both, um, being around people uh, your age, all of your age, but uh, especially uh, you guys who are students here, uh, you just fill us, and uh, it's a joy uh, to be uh, in, in your house today. So uh, what I want to do today is this. So uh, I sometimes you'll hear someone ask someone else the question. Maybe you've asked someone this question if you're really a, like a curious student of life and people and existence. Um, what, what's one thing in the course of your years on earth that, that you've learned? Give me, give me one of the big pieces of wisdom that you've gained as a human being during your time here. And uh, I'm, I'm super fascinated anytime uh, I hear anyone answer that question. And I'm going to ask uh, myself that question today and, and answer it for you. So I've stumbled onto a few pieces of wisdom during my time on planet Earth. But here's one that I would put in the, in the list of I don't know how many top, you know, uh, items, but I would put this uh, definitely in the top tier of pieces of wisdom that I've stumbled onto during my time as a human being. And this is it. It pays. It pays to see your life as a story. It pays to see your life as a story. I'm telling you right now, if you develop this skill, and it is a skill you can't just decide to see your life as a story. It helps to decide, but then you have to like work out this muscle. But if you can learn to see your life as a story, then it will do two things. It will help you dr like dramatically to process your life. And processing your life in healthy and productive ways is a very important part of being a healthy human being. Seeing your life as a story will help you to process your life and it will also help you to live a better, fuller, richer life. So it will help as you look in the rearview mirror, and it will help as you move forward. My wife and I are both big believers in this. We do our best to, to, uh, to look around at our lives through this lens. Um, and we have been doing our best for a while now, trying to pass this value on to our children. So we've got two daughters, uh, 15 and 12, uh, 13, excuse me, Eve, goodness, uh, 15 and 13, about to be 14, and I'm backing on up to 12, um, but we have been passing this on to the best of our ability to our girls for a while now, and what I'm going to do this morning is just share a turning point in that journey with you. So I mentioned yesterday uh, that uh, we have, we, we spent a year and a half recently just traveling slowly around the world as a family. And the first stop on that journey was uh, England. We, we, we were looking for somewhere cheap. And so we sifted the entire island uh, through, the, uh, through Airbnb and found like two places that were within our budget to stay for a few months 
One was in Liverpool, uh, and then one was down on the south coast uh, in this little like pirate town called Weymouth. And it was an easy decision for us. Uh, anywhere with seagulls, we're automatically going to favor it because we grew up in Florida. So, so we head to Weymouth, but one week, maybe six days before we leave, um, we all, we, you know, we kind of thought COVID was going away, and then, you know, it just didn't. And six days before we leave, the UK goes into its second lockdown, national lockdown. And <laughs> you don't understand lockdown until you've been in a British lockdown. So we're Americans. We're the yahoos who like, you know, cross the ocean, you know, banging our drums for freedom and, you know, just gave it all up because we wanted to be free. The British are the people who stayed, okay? They like the rules. And when they go into a lockdown, they are serious about going into a lockdown. There were, I kid you not, people in yellow vests patrolling the streets to make sure there were no loiterers. You were allowed, we had to quarantine, like not go outside at all for 10 days once we arrived. But then we entered, you know, the, the fullness of, you know, being free to then be locked down the way all of our neighbors were. You were allowed one hour of exercise per day where you could be outside, but you had to be moving. Otherwise, it's not exercise. No joke, Boris Johnson, the PM, uh, the prime minister, got on the television at one point and announced to the nation that you were now allowed to sit on a bench. And everyone cheered, okay? Everyone was taking this very seriously, like no one was breaking the rules. We didn't want to break the rules, we wanted to be good. Like, so it was just a very, we had just left our home, we had left all our friends behind, we were in this new place, and then we couldn't even like talk to anyone, no one would even make, like, it was like they thought you could get COVID from eye contact, and so like there was no even eye contact when you were jogging past someone. And so it was very just, it was a very isolated, you know, just quiet, lonely time. But we were going to get outside, and so we thought, okay, one hour per day. There's four of us in this family. That means one, two, three, four hours we can be on a walk. And so we went for these long, extended walks as often as we could. And we would always walk through our neighborhood past this one uh, playground. It was like this little kind of busted playground in the middle of this neighborhood where we'd rented this little cottage. And no one was on the playground. No one was on the streets. No one was ever on the playground. In fact, we would go by, and it was so eerie, like a, like a gray skies and an empty playground is like a spooky kind of thing, especially when the breeze sort of blows the swings. And we would joke about like, oh, there's the ghost children. They're, they're on the playground again. We would walk by, and okay, so we go on, and like every walk, understandably, eventually turns into one or both of our daughter's venting about how lonely they are. They've left their friends, now we can't even talk to human beings, understood. One day, this is like two months in, things are gradually starting to lift. People are coming out and exposing themselves to the sun. And we walk by the playground and there are children on it. Like a whole group of like six, seven, eight, maybe 10 kids varying from like eight, nine years old, up to maybe, you know, 13, 14 years old on the playground. 
And we're walking by on the sidewalk, like elbowing one another, like, do you see the humans? Like, the, the ghost children have manifested and they're real now. And so we walk by, trying to play it cool. We turn the corner to usually go down to, to where we finished our walk. We stop and we turn to the girls who are now, what, like 10 and 11 and, and yeah, 12, 13. We turn to them. And we say, guys, did you see the, the playground? They're like, yes, there's kids on it. And we're like, exactly. You guys should go say hi. And immediately, they're like, no. And we're like, you have been talking for months now about how lonely you are, how you wish you could make friends here. There are children on the public playground. This is your moment. You're going to go over there. And they're like, we're not going over there because we're not three years old. You can't just walk up to somebody on a playground when you're like 12 and be like, my name's Eve, you wanna be friends? Like, that's not how it works. Mom, dad, you guys are ridiculous. And we double down, we're like, no, no. Understand, there's, there's only three ways this could go. So let's just think about it. Option number one, you walk up to that playground and all of the kids look, they see you come on, they turn and ignore you for the rest of the time. It's a little awkward, but whatever. No harm, no foul, it's over, you know, and, and we move on. Option number two, the kids turn around, see you come on, and they come over. And they're like, who are you? And you're like, I'm London, I'm Eve. And they're like, let's be friends. And you guys hit it off great, and now you have friends. Or option number three, this is really the only other thing that could happen. You walk on the playground, they turn to you and attack you for entering their territory, right? And they kick you off the playground. And I mean, if, if option one happens, it's whatever. If option two happens, you've got friends. And if option three happens, hey, at least you've got a great story to tell. But please understand, notice, in every one of those scenarios, there's one thing that happens. You walk your buns over to this playground and meet these kids. And so we gave them one of our phones. We said, call us when you're done. And we turned and went on our walk. And we were like walking away. We were like, nailed it. Nailed it. This is like parenting, like win. And so... We go and they go and we're talking and, you know, walking. And then like 10 or 12 minutes later, we get a call. It's a FaceTime. And I answer it to find my daughter Eve's face. She's in, in our flat and she's weeping. And she's like, it was number three. <laughs> no joke we like I'm like I'm so sorry like we turn around run home we sit down with them <laughs> they're sitting in our bed like and we sit down with them and through tears they tell us the story of what happened those girls of ours walked onto that playground the kids turned saw them enter through the little half fence and made their way over and then they started engaging them and by engaging, I mean, they started, like, once they found out that they were Americans, it was on. 
So the first move was for those kids to get our kids to say a bunch of British curse words, okay? Do you know what means? Like, but we were one step ahead of them in that regard because we had schooled our children on a bunch of British curse words before we went to England. Because I don't know if you know the British curse words, but they sound super friendly and goofy. I mean, like, I would say them now, but they sound too real to me now after spending time there. But you would never know they were swears, but they are. Like, some of them, like, super swears. The British are filthy-mouthed people. And I love them, but they, it's true, they are. And so, so they're trying to get, they're like, do you know it? But our girls are like, I do know what that means, and I'm not saying it. And so, so they pass that test, but they, they keep, they, they lean in. And these kids keep, keep like moving in, and, and it, it's physically happening too. They're like coming toward, they're now encircling. Our girls have found themselves like on the swings, so there's nowhere really to move. And they, they, they start in on this whole thing. They're like, oi, what, what, <laughs> what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to shoot us? Like they think every American has been a part of 17 shootings and probably carries two and a half guns. Um, which in some parts of the country is not that far off. But this is, this is like, they think America and they think guns. And so they're like, oh, are you going to shoot us? Like, have you ever been shot? And, and so they're going through this whole thing. And then they're like, they, they just like get rabid. They're like, our, our girls are like, Ugh. and they're like, you need to go home, you dirty Americans. Like, why are you even here? You need to go home to your country. And... And like, this is actually happening. And now they're, they're close in and they're moving forward. And this little boy, like nine years old, is caught up in the tide coming towards. So he's in front. And the, our daughters are like looking at each other like, I think it was Eve who said to London, she's like, do you think we should go? <laughs> and this little nine-year-old boy in the front goes, yeah, you should go. <laughs> and so they get up off the swings and they leave the playground. And the kid's like, act like they're going to come after them. So our girls take off running, very proud of this, they ran a dummy route back to the flat so that they could not be followed, and then they called us and told us everything, and we felt like the worst parents on planet Earth. But in a moment of parenting illumination, after they tell us this story, we look at them and we say, wow, that was quite a story. Do you want to call your grandmother and tell her? And immediately they're like, yes. FaceTime Lolo. Here she goes. And the whole time she's like, she's, she's a great audience. And she's like, no, no, they didn't. And she's like, those dirty Brits, you know, like, <laughs> giving it right back to him. So, so, and then hang out with Lolo. And then, and then she's, we're like, do you guys want to call Grandpa Scott and tell him? And they're like, yes. So we call like three or four family members and relate this story. And, uh, and so that's, that's the end of it. We dry the tears. You know, Jen and I make some resolutions, you know, privately with one another as parents. And then we go on about our life. And so, so then it's like, I don't know, what's, what's it been? Four days, maybe. We're on our walk. And we go by the playground. And there are the children. And Jen and I are like, you show me which one of them, which, you know, you point me to. Well, we're trying to like hold it together. They're like, stop, stop. So we walk by and as we turn the corner out of sight, our girls tap us and they're like, hey, we want to go to the playground. 
And I'm like, you guys, you have a lot to live for. You do not need to end it now. They're like, no, we want to go. And we're like, are you kidding me? And I kid you not, they look at us and they say, we want to see how the story ends. And I'm like, I was never, never so brave. I mean, the first time they went, I was like, I didn't think you were going to do it. You know, like, this time they go on their own accord. Well, Jen and I send them with the phone and then we hide in a bush <laughs> close by, like to jump out and steal our children away from, from these people. So they go and I'm not making this up. They get done. We see it's going kind of well. We go ahead and give them some space. They come and we're like, how did it go? They're like, well, we're meeting them tomorrow at four. They met those kids like three or four days a week for weeks. They became counselors in that group. Those kids had dads in the mafia and like just bad home situations. And they're like counseling these kids. They're like looking around the playground, helping, you know, like, clean. you know, I think a magic eraser could get some of these penises off the slide if you want to just like, you could really clean this place up. Like it had just, the whole, the whole thing had turned and changed. And we were like, good night. How did that happen? Here's how it happened. They saw their lives as a story. And they knew well enough to know that if there is someone good writing the story, if the story is bad, the story is not over. That truth will unlock joy and hope and health in your life. There are a few things I could tell you that I feel like would be of more value than that one. What I want you to know today, I don't know where you are, I don't know what's going on in your life, I know that a lot of you are going through very difficult things and I'm just here to say one simple thing, God is real and he writes incredible stories. They will surprise you, you cannot predict them. But if your story feels like a bad story, here is what I would recommend. Wait, look, and then keep going because you're, you're really going to want to see how the story ends. Thank you, guys.